You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Unmute me, maybe? I don't know. Oh, hey! Ha <laughs> ha, now you can hear me. That's everything you ever wanted. My voice amplified. Everyone's favorite. All right. Um, yeah, so we are starting a new series in Philippians. Uh, we joked a couple of times about continuing Acts for like the rest of our lives, but we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're done with Acts and we're going to move into excuse me, Philippians. Um, and this is going to be a fun little series. We're going to do it over six weeks and we're going to cover the book of Philippians, which on, I, I don't know if any of you caught it, but the first version of the graphic that I put online called it the gospel of Philippians, which is completely not true. And then I caught myself and I was like, delete, 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 delete. It was fine. Only, I think only Debbie Bacher saw it, so we're all right. Um, anyway, uh, so we're going to dive right in. And in classic Mission Ridge form, we're going to start with the context of Philippians because we should kind of think about like, okay, where was it written? Who was it written to? Ask those contextual questions because that's going to flavor what we get out of this book. Okay. So little context for Philippians. The letter was written by Paul and it was sent to the church in Philippi. Thus, it is called the letter to the Philippians. That, that was a, okay, Josh is picking up. That was a joke. Uh, but uh, it's, it's delivered by this guy called Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus visits Paul in Rome. Rome is under, or Paul is under house arrest in Rome at this point. I believe it was for two years. This is the end of, book of, end of the book of Acts where he's, where he's writing these bunch of letters, right? And so this letter is sent back to the Philippians. This is the first Jesus community that Paul started. In the book of Acts, if we remember in chapter 16 on the second missionary journey, which I had that great map for that didn't show up on the screen, uh, the second missionary journey, this is the first little church plant on that missionary journey that Paul starts up. Now, Philippi was a very heavily Roman city. It was the, it's got an interesting history, but basically at some point, the, I think it was Augustus came through with his army and they conquered this area. And after they finished doing their soldiery conquering stuff, then they, they left a bunch of the soldiers there in this little outpost city called Philippi. And fun fact, if you're one of these little cities, you don't have to pay taxes. So there's like this incentive to live there. Um, so you ended up with a bunch of these retired military living in Philippi. So it's a very heavily Roman city. Um, the, the flavor then we can imagine would be patriotic nationalism. So imagine Annapolis or any other, you know, heavily, heavily, you know, very Colorado Springs is the one that comes to my mind. Cause you've got the air force Academy and like, there's a lot of military people living there. Right. So if you're in one of these cities that has a lot of military people, retired vets, stuff like that, it's going to have this heavy flavor of patriotic nationalism. Okay. This is going to be the flavor of that town, which means that we're going to have a lot of Caesar worship. Uh, the Caesar worship, this is, this is like if you were a good Roman, then you, you, you think of Caesar as Lord, right? Caesar was a gift from God. Caesar is a God in a lot of people's minds, right? So we get the Caesar worship. And, and this, this 
sets up kind of an interesting thing for this book because we don't have to worry about the the Jewish influence as much. For a lot of the other letters, Galatians, Ephesians, like Ephesus was a huge city and there was a lot of Jews living there, right? And so you've got this like Paul's dealing with the Jewish aspect and the new church and how those two relate. And then also dealing with the Gentiles and the Roman aspect of how the church deals with the Roman government. And so you've got this kind of divided imagery going on, right? This, this divided, we got to deal with this and this. Well, in Philippians, he only really has to deal with the Roman aspect. So we get to focus in on that, which is kind of cool. So a lot of Caesar worship, a lot of patri- uh, patriotic nationalism. This is, this is Philippi. It's a small little town, not, not very big. And the church there never got huge. Uh, it was kind of just, just a little church, just a, just a little group of people. I don't know who that could apply to. I have no idea. Um, so next thing we want to look at is themes. So there's some themes in the book of uh, Philippians. The first one being joy. Now, Paul constantly is dropping that he's joyful. He's joy, joyous, overjoyed. Like he's, he's super happy writing this letter, which is kind of a little different than a lot of his other ones where he's oftentimes, you know, slapping the, uh, slapping the, the churches on, on their hands. Like, eh, Corinthians, what are you doing? Or Galatians, you know, he's like, nah, you guys got to fix this. Well, Philippians, he's just really encouraging them. And he's just super joyous to be writing them. A uh, funny joke that I heard Marty drop one time was that <laughs> Paul kind of has this little bit of a crush on the church in Philippi. Like this is, this is his favorite. Like this, is, he really likes them, right? So this joy, so much joy, like enough joy that, oh, she's not even in here for that. That's fine. I was going to make a joke for joy's sake, but that's fine. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully she hears this later. That'll be great. Anyway, the next one is Humility. We see a lot of humility in this book. Uh, there is, this is, a, this is a current, a theme that runs through the entire letter, okay? And we're going to talk about humility and the word humility and break this down a little bit more in our footnotes podcast this week because y'all want to be here for like five hours and it'll be more fun if Rob and me and whoever else gets to talk about this as opposed to me just spewing things. But humility is a big aspect of this book. We see that as a big theme. Uh, Other things are examples of living to reflect Jesus. We see a lot of Paul's giving all of these examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to live this out, okay? And we see a lot of those. And then also partnership. Off the top of my head, I think it's nine times that and th- this is a four-chapter book, so it's not, this is, this is not a long letter. Partnership is mentioned nine times that uh, Paul is talking about partnering with him in the gospel. So these are some themes that we want to keep in our mind as we're going through this. Uh, now, the next thing that we want to cover is the order of the series, how we're going to attack this book, how we're going to look at it. Now, Philippians is structured kind of cool. It's a collection of short little vignettes. Now, if you're like me and you had to look up the word vignette, you would look it up and you would find that it is a short impressionistic scene that focuses on one movement or character and gives a trenchant impression about that character, an idea, setting, and or object. It is a short descriptive passage, more about evoking meaning through imagery than about plot. So now, the more you know. Like, vignette. Also, vignette is just a super fun word to say, so I'm probably going to say it about 20 billion times, because it's fun. Uh, maybe, maybe not that many. It was a little hyperbole. But the idea is that you've got all these little vignettes, all these little ideas that are centered around this Messiah poem that occurs in the center. 
right? Now in the center of, in the center, center, I use that loosely, it's kind of towards the front, but the center being chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now we're going to look at that today because we feel like starting with this Messiah poem, if all the little vignettes, all the little ideas are pointing back to and alluding to and referencing to this poem and all connected, all the themes are running through this, well then, that seems like a really good place to start our study of this book. So we're going to work through, we're going to look at this poem today, and then we're going to work through the rest of the series going from the book to the beginning to the end. Okay, and we want to look for these connecting ideas, these themes, joy, humility, examples of living, and partnership, and there's a couple other ones, so be, be looking for these connections as we go through this stuff. So let's dive into the scripture bit. And we're going to go through Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God, was highly exalt- God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you're, you probably caught, like, we did that for the call to worship today. That wasn't accidental. Like, this is central to this book. I'm not a big memorizer of scripture, but as we're going through this series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to memorize this passage. This is a great passage to memorize. This is, Paul is taking this and he's, he's compressing the gospel down into this short little elevator pitch almost. You can look at that. I don't think that's too, uh, too far to say that. But it's full of Old, Old Testament references, okay? Which is, it's a short little thing, but there's, there's all this imagery that evokes Old Testament stuff with Adam, the suffering servant in Isaiah, and we're going to go pull this apart a little bit. So let's, uh, Anitra, if you can go back to the, the first uh, slide of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that first one there, okay? So he starts this off, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, okay? Have this mind amongst yourself, have this thought, have this concept, have this philosophy that you're going to live out, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You get this from Christ. We see Christ doing this, so we want to take this on. We want to take on the imagery of what Christ is living out. This is how he's starting this. And then the next one, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, when we think about grasping for equality with God, reaching out and grabbing something, maybe some low-hanging fruit, what would that, that should conjure up in our mind. We should be thinking, oh, hey, Genesis. Hey, that's Adam. That's Adam and Eve in the garden. That's grasping for equality because Adam wanted to become like God, right? That was the lie that the serpent told was that I'm going to, if you eat of this fruit, you can be like God. Equality with God. And it starts here, even though Jesus already was in the form of God, already was equal with God, he didn't view this. He, didn't, he had the equality, but he didn't view it as something that he needed to grasp and hold on to. 
And instead, he empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He, hu- he humbles himself, the humility of becoming like man, right? To get on our level, if you will. Jesus has the equality, but humbles himself completely and has the humility even to death. Death on a cross, which is a huge... Death on a cross, one, horrible way to die. Two, humiliating way to die, right? This was a form of, this is not only we're going to kill you, but we're going to mock you as we're going to kill you. And this is the humility that we see from Jesus. This is, this is the example that we see set for us, right? It's, it's this redemption, if you will. We see the redemption of Adam through Jesus. Which if, we, if we ever talk about the book of John, we'll see that. Hugely, but we're seeing it right here, the redemption of Adam's story. So we've got a, we got a little reference there. Now the next one where we keep going, we keep going, oh, one more thing, resurrection. Where does the resurrection, Paul doesn't mention the resurrection here. It's implied, but he doesn't specifically mention it, which I find super interesting and I have no really good answers for you. I'm sorry. But, like, as we're going through this, like, I, I was studying this week, this week, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this is driving me nuts. Why doesn't he include this here? I feel like the resurrection's a slightly important aspect of the whole gospel, and yet he doesn't put this in here. So for some reason, for some reason, he makes that choice, and I'm not sure why. I have some suspicions. And we'll see if they, we'll see if they come to light. Because uh, we're actually covering this passage with a larger chunk in two weeks. And I, maybe, maybe I'll have it figured out. Probably not. But maybe I'll have it figured out by then. But maybe we'll have a better conversation about that. But I find that really fascinating. So if you come up with any good ideas, let me know. Uh, then you can preach. Ha! I'll get out of it. It'll be great. But the next section is what I'm, I, I like to think of this is the highly exalted bit, right? So, uh, we, God, not a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, and then death, even death on, death on a cross, right? And then 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every, above every name. I think at some point... I read a translation that had every other name, and I have that so lodged in my brain at this point. And I don't know which translation it was, but every time, like, I just name that is above every other name. But it's not there. It's fine. This is ESV, by the way. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's kind of interesting. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the highly exalted section. Right? So we've got the section A, Jesus humbles himself. And then section B, Jesus is highly exalted. Which is kind of some interesting imagery. Like to be exalted, humble thyself. That sounds a little bit like something Jesus said, maybe in the Beatitudes or something. Maybe go and find the meaning of that. But this is a, this is a reference back to Isaiah. And in Isaiah 40, chapters 40 through 55, this is a big old chunk of scripture. And you're welcome. We're not going to go through the entire thing. Um, <laughs> that would have made it a lot more rough. But uh, 40 through 55 is this, the suffering servant, okay? This is the, this is the description of the suffering servant is referred to. 
And specifically, he is quoting chapter 45, verse 23. So if you want to go to that one, Anitra. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Right? Which, there's some, there's some really fun correlations here, and we'll probably unpack these a little bit more in footnotes or maybe in, in later weeks. But he's, he's referring back to this, which is also interesting because Philippi was not heavily Jewish. So he's still utilizing these Old Testament references, even though he's talking to a, most likely a bunch of Gentiles. Interesting. It's almost like that stuff's still important for Gentiles. So the, the, what, we, what we need to cue in on here, the big main thought, though, is that Paul is expressing that there is one true God, and it is Father and Son with this. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that sounds very, very different than saying Caesar is Lord, right? Because in Philippi, this is, you're going to have a ton of Caesar worship, and they're going to love Caesar, and they're going to declare that Caesar is Lord, right? Because this is, this is, the entire Roman Empire is built on this concept of, like, the Roman power, and Caesar is at the head of this, and Caesar is God, and piety, war, victory, peace, right? This is their mantra, with a right arm raised, fist, ruling everybody, you know, pound them down if they get out of line. This is Rome. And, and Paul is saying to this group of Christians living in Philippi, which are surrounded by people that are worshiping Caesar, he's making a big deal that, no, Christ is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I imagine that this probably comes up in their conversations. And as he is encouraging this church in Philippi, he is giving them, like, this is what you need to base everything on, that Christ is Lord. And it, and it looks like this, because he had this, therefore, what's it, what's it there for? That's a, the, the common pastor joke. When we see a therefore in verse 9, what's it there for? <laughs> um, well, on this one, like it's, he's saying that Christ is Lord. God, it, God is exalted Christ up here because he humbled himself, because he has the humility, right? This is, and so Paul is communicating to the Philippians that you need to, you need to show this humility that Christ showed. You need to become like this suffering servant, to humble yourself to the point of death because that's what's going to exalt God and not Caesar, right? This is the important part of that. So with this, with this tiny little section of scripture, Paul is expressing two gigantic points that flood the rest of this message. Like the rest of the letter is flooded with these thoughts that who Jesus is and the example to follow. Christ is Lord, and you need to be like him, and this is what it looks like. Which, we haven't seen a lot of joy yet, but trust me, it's there. Like, read, read the letter. It's all over the place. So, seeing how the joy comes from these two things, I think is going to be fascinating for us. 
So we want to move into a couple of implications because there's, there's a couple of things that we can pull out of this that we can synthesize and I think we can apply them to our lives just from this tiny little chunk, just from this Messiah poem. I think the first one that we need to, that we need to make sure that we have on lock is that God, the gospel begins and ends with Christ as deity, okay? He starts that, he starts that Messiah poem with uh, though he was in the form of God. He starts this with Christ was one with God. Christ was equal with God, co-equal with God. And then he ends it with Christ exalted as God. And we have these beautiful little bookends. These beautiful little bookends with humility in the center of this. But the gospel begins and ends with Christ as deity. And if we don't have that on lock, if we don't base everything in our lives, the gospel that we proclaim, if we don't base that on Christ is Lord above anything and everything else, then no matter what we say afterwards, it's going to ring hollow. Because we might say Christ is Lord, but over here we're holding up, but Caesar, but Caesar, no, we got to put that away. Like if we don't, if we don't really have that on lock, that our gospel begins and ends with God as God, with Christ as God, we're not going to, we're not going to actually have a message that rings true. Second implication that I want to pull out of this is humility coming from deity is different than humility coming from humanity. Now, this, one's, this one's a little bit, we're going to have to think about this and chew on this. Because I said this to Rob, we were talking about stuff, and I just said it, and he was like, I think that's your implication. And I was like, said what? Because I hadn't even like, this was just Logan word vomiting. But humility coming from deity is different than humility coming from humanity. I think the way, what I'm thinking when I say this is that for Christ to come down on our level and to to humble himself to that degree. There's a lot more movement, right? Because I, I don't know about any of you good people, but I am not on that level. I'm, I'm like, Christ is way up here, and I'm somewhere like below the stage, right? So the amount of humbleness that he is showing, like he has raised the, lowered the bar, raised the bar. I, he's, he's set the standard in a different place. <laughs> Thought you might like that. <laughs> But uh, he set the standard at a different, like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to match this, but I need to be constantly trying to attain this. Like, I need to be, I need to be going after this because if Jesus is my rabbi, if I'm saying that the gospel begins and ends with Jesus being God and I want to be like his image, then I'm going to need to show this, um, this degree of humbleness, this degree of humility in my life. And what does that look like to, hum- to have that amount of humility in Logan's life that would go from being equal with God to lowering myself to be like man to death on a cross? Like, what does that look like in my life? I don't know. It looks like, looks like I've got some work to do. I don't know about you guys. The third one, the third one is... What are you grasping for in your life? Because if we're not actually grasping for that, if we're not actually going after that humility, if I'm not actually going after that, 
and I, I'm saying, yeah, no, uh, this is good, and I want to be like Jesus, and that's good, but I really want power, or I really want whatever. Insert your desire here that might distract and take away from me chasing humility. What are you actually grasping at? What's actually at your core, your desire? What's actually driving you? I think that's important for us to think about. And I don't, like, as we go into this week, as you go into your care groups, like, this, the, we could have some good discussion about these. These are good things to wrestle about. Because what's actually driving me? Is it my need for, you know, a two-car garage and a white, a white picket fence and, and this? Like, where, what's my win what do I gauge my win? Or am I, am I less concerned with that? Not saying anything's wrong with that. Having the American dream, there is nothing wrong with that. Not a thing. But if it's getting in the way of me chasing that humility, then it's become Caesar in my life, and I'm going after what I can grasp through power, through war, through piety, instead of going through it with humility and being like Jesus. So as we wrestle with these things this week, I, the last thing that I want to point out is that Paul is writing a letter to a group of people. And he's pointing these things out to a group of people. It's not just to one person. And I think that these things, these concepts, are meant to be wrestled with in community. Because I can sit there and I can, I can read it and I can see it, but I'm only going to see it through the lens of Logan, right? And I'm a little biased, but I like it. It's a good lens. It's the, maybe the best lens. That's not true. <laughs> but you see, you see where this goes? Like, if I don't look at this through the lens of Josh, through the lens of Mike, right? If I don't see this from different perspectives, I'm going to have blind spots. And so I'm not going to be able to really wrestle with these well unless I'm doing it in community. And I think that's what, that's maybe the last thing that we can pull out, the unsaid implication for, that we need to wrestle with these in community. So get together with people and wrestle through this. Push back on your thoughts. Give people different ideas. I think that's important. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side. Make it up. What? Why is Joy? Why are you running away from Lori? Well, I mean that's fair. All right.